1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. Wow. I'm intense. <laughs> I'm Dr. I'm Doctor Mike
2: Todorovic
1: and I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Matt Barton. How are you, Matt? Is
2: that just because you had a coffee?
1: I just had a coffee and a couple of shortbreads. So I've now pumped with sugar and caffeine. And today we're going to talk about... I'll oh, stop doing that. People are going to switch off. Today we're talking about Tissues. So not Kleenex tissues, Matthew, which you were thinking, um, but tissues of the body, the four tissue types of the body.
2: Okay. Now we know- Important topic. It's usually at the front end of an P course. That's true. So I'm not sure why we're doing this, you know- Five years into because it. <laughs> Matthew
1: podcasts are not a sequential beast. Okay. People can listen to this podcast at the very beginning of their course, or they can listen to it at the very end, or they don't even need to listen to it at all, or they don't even need to be a student to or listen to this. Finished their course four years
2: ago. Exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly. Uh, this is a long time coming. You know, we could have done this or should have probably done this about three years ago. But you're right. Tissues are an important topic of conversation when it comes to biology they usually sit at the front end of a biology course and when we look at tissues what we need to think about are the cells of the body and how many
2: how many cells in the body
1: individual cells or types of cells individuals Uh, around about 30 trillion Okay. And around about two hundred types
2: of so, cells. So what does that mean? So thirty trillion gets condensed into two hundred groups. That's right, two hundred okay. groups by um, function. What was the paper that was just recently released? Where or study they just released in terms of they've kind of quantified all the cell types in the body? Uh I, did you I say don't that? actually
1: read every paper that's no, ever been should. published. So uh, no, I don't know that paper. Please. Tell us.
2: That's about as much as I know. Oh, you didn't read they, it either. They just—I just saw the headlines in you know one of those uh, science alert, yeah. um, you know, databases. That and what did it say? Basically, it was just saying that all the body cells have been quantified into groups in the body. Yeah. Histologically. Okay.
1: And was it around about two hundred? Um,
2: I don't believe so. Oh, so I'm wrong. No, I think that. I don't know how they actually did. I think they just looked at the, all the, you know, the main um, organs and yeah, maybe organ systems, and looked at the the components with each organ system, and then they kind of they had abilities to do certain um, histological markers where they could clearly, objectively measure these cells apart from each other. Wow, that's interesting. Kind of like an encyclopedia now. For the body. Histologically. Where, yeah, histologically. Not functionally,
1: mm. histologically. Well, if you were to take the cells of the body and you were to group them functionally, mm-hmm. that's how we get tissues. Right. So, so
2: so basically what you've done is our 30 trillion cells in our body, yep. you can then group them into 200 categories mm-hmm. based on what similar functioning. Yeah. Okay. So things like nerve cells, uh, muscle cells... Um, bone cells, things Mm -hmm. like that. And then from those 200, you can further condense them into four groups of tissue. Is that right?
1: That's right. When they work together Together. toward a similar function, that group of cells forms a tissue. Okay. And there's four tissues. And so it'll make more sense, obviously, when we start to say what those four tissues are, which are epithelial tissue, connective tissue- Muscle tissue and nervous tissue. And so, for example, if we take nervous tissue, you know, you've got neurons, that's one cell type. Yep. Uh, you've got uh, ependymal cells, that's another cell type. Astrocytes.
2: So There's a glia.
1: You know, they're gl- but they're all nervous cells, cells, right? Mm. So, you've got a whole bunch of different cells that perform different functions, but cumulatively together, they all have a similar function, which is for that of communication. And that is nervous tissue. Right. And the same thing goes when you look at um, epithelial cells. You know, there's different types of epithelial cells, but when they come together, they form barriers and boundaries of the body. With connective tissue, they come together. Um, they hold things, bind things, anchor things. And when you've got muscle tissue, these cells come together to allow for work to be movement. performed or movement to occur. And so that's how we broadly classify these tissues. four tissue types of the body. Okay. Um, so I think what we should do is because we've done an episode pretty much on each one of these tissues in depth, we should just do this as an introduction, uh, introductory so we've done, podcast. we've done- A couple pod- of nervous ones, a couple of muscle, um, haven't horse- done epithelia- Okay. Haven't done connective. Yeah. But right. we will. Yeah. Okay. We will, listener. We will so do we, a whole so episode. So basically,
2: what you're saying, we're not going to go into human, too much depth, but cover them in enough detail that it's a good introductory, um, uh, not investigation, but uh, to be fair, jo- pro- journey. Yeah,
1: it'll be probably enough for you to pass your exam. That's not a guarantee, by <laughs> the way, but it probably would be enough. Um, so I think let's start with the two that we've actually already done podcasts on, which is nervous tissue or muscle tissue. Okay. So I think let's start with nervous tissue. And so again, the nervous tissue, its job is for communication. Okay. And the communication it performs is high speed, very quick, very direct point A to point B. Um, and, uh, it's obviously there's other tissues, there's, there's other, um, regions, areas of the body, like the endocrine yes, system. that's communication. Which is also communication, yep. but the difference is that nervous system has nervous tissue, like neurons and glia, for yep. example, which allow for it to perform its function. And it's direct, it's fast, okay, um, and, and so forth. So firstly, nervous tissue, the cell types right. within the nervous tissue, because all of these tissues will have specific cell types. Uh, which help make it what it is. So we said neurons mm-hmm. are the ones that send the signals, yep. and then the glia support them. Is the which means glue in Greek. They're the supporting cells for the neurons. Okay. What do you think we should tell the audience about? Now the audience should know that we just do this off the top of our head. So <laughs> what
2: <laughs> we have today anyway? What
1: What do you think uh, the audience needs to know about neurons and glia, relevant to the t- this tissue type?
2: So I think you've You've um, you know introduced it well. So nervous system, like you said, its function as a tissue is to communicate because the cell, the, the body, the human body is you know it's a multicellular organism, and it's not like every cell is right next to each other. There's distances, particularly. Um, Me, compared to you, there's a lot longer distances to go from the brain to the foot, whereas yours is only two two foot, whereas mine's six foot.
1: Wow, you got six feet. Wow.
2: (laughs) So um, there is distance that you have to get information from Mm -hmm. and to. So that's its kind of overall function. Now, the cells, like you mentioned, can be broken into two, but let's start with probably the most important one out of the bunch – is the neuron, which is the cell that is excitable. Um, It sends the stimulus as electricity. I know you're going to pull me up with that because it's not true, right? It's not true, but that's okay. It's an electrochemical change. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. I always – because everyone always says, oh, we've got electricity cursing (laughs) through our body, and we don't, and I've said it before, but it's not like a wire where you've got electrons playing hot potato, bumping into each other, going down the
2: wire – A neuron- It's just electrical chemical change across the membrane. Yeah,
1: ions like sodium and potassium and calcium and so forth, they're either jumping into or out of the cell. Okay, But they're doing it in a domino-like fashion that that travels down the neuron and that's the signal it sends. But that's by the by, you're right, neurons are the ones that are sending the signal.
2: So let's say we wanted to move your- quadricept yeah you would have a neuron and this is very simplified but you would have a neuron a motor neuron that would originate in a part of your brain the motor cortex and that would send this is the same cell send a long projection of that cell all the way down kind of the ballpark to your you know the end of your spinal cord where it would then meet its other friend to to continue this electrochemical what's the other friend Um, motor neuron 2, which we call the lower motor neuron. Okay, so the way that it sends this signal is just by exchanging these ions all the way down this long one cell, which is quite fascinating really, isn't it? That's all done by one cell. And part of the way it does that is just on its membrane because we know cells have this outer covering thing around it and that's basically just changing the way that these uh, ions move across it. Now, do we want to go into any more detail about the neuron itself? Or is that?
1: Common? I think what we should say is, obviously, you've got the neurons. That's the cell that performs all the um, activities when it comes to sending the signals. Yep. And those signals can go up or down. They can ascend up to the brain for it to make sense. Or they can send it down, like you just said, for movement or activity. Um, and then you've got all the supporting cells that help neurons and so these supporting cells like we alluded to are called glia and there's many different types so you've got depending on whether you're in the central nervous system or peripheral nervous system you know you've got uh, schwann cells you've got oligodendrocytes ependymal cells astrocytes uh can you think of any others well,
2: Let's. should we quickly just mention satellite when, cells mention when they fit in along the process Or is that that going to neuro?
1: No, I think because that's all we're going to finish on and then we'll move on to to muscle. So I think let's just start with the central nervous system, right? If you take a look at the glia of the central nervous system, you were saying that that neuron needs to have a covering.
2: Um, Yeah, so a lot of that um, signal that's sent from the start of your brain down to the end of your spinal cord, um, most of the cell that is carrying that electrochemical change is on a part of the cell called the axon. Okay. And so that's a long distance it has to travel. Mm. Okay. So we need to try and make that speed super fast. And the way it does is you insulate it. Similar to, you know, power cords, they have that insulation around it so you don't lose the the charge outside the the wire. So it's in a kind of similar way to that we have this outer fatty insulation that wraps around the axons. And in the central nervous system it's done by um, oligodendrocytes, yep. but in the peripheral nervous system, so this is outside the spinal cord brain, it's done by a different glia, which we call a Schwann cell.
1: So you've got neurons, obviously, all throughout the body, those in the central nervous system, which is brain and spinal cord, yep. uh, brain, brainstem, spinal cord, and then peripheral nervous system, which are all the nerves that shoot out and away and shoot back into back the in. brain, brainstem and spinal cord. And you're saying that... The- all of the nerves, regardless of central or peripheral, yep. are surrounded by this myelin sheath. This this yeah, coating, They're axons. Right?
2: They're axons. So that's the axons the, are. The, this is the carrying part of the signal.
1: So it, the axons are covered by it, but you're saying that the glia that create this covering are actually different from yeah. being in the central nervous system to the peripheral.
2: Yeah.
1: Why are they different?
2: That's a good good question. Why don't Um,
1: oligodendrocytes wrap in the peripheral and why don't Schwann cells wrap in the central?
2: I'm guessing it comes down to embryology. That would be my guess. Mm. Um, And you should know that. As the listeners know,
1: you don't shut up about embryology. Well,
2: I haven't had a chance to talk about it for a long time. So uh, 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 are Schwann cells... Do you know? I don't actually know. It's a good question. Schwann cells
1: of a different embryological origin to oligodendrocytes?
2: Neurocrest cells, uh, Schwann cells, oligodendrocytes. mesoderm. Are you testing me? No, I think it's neural tube, but I, I'm happy to be yeah. fact It would have checked. to be- I'm happy to be fact-checked Due to embryology. Yeah. But
1: regardless, take her message here is that axons of the central nervous system covered by oligodendrocytes and those are the peripheral Schwann cells.
2: Yeah, right? and, and um, an interesting difference here is when the nerve gets injured, so this is part of my research. Um, if you get an injured nerve in the periphery, so let's say you were to cut a whole lot of axons in a nerve, let's say like a median nerve, that's in your going down to your forearm. If you cut straight through that nerve and cut a whole, you know, thousand axons, if you can somehow repair it pretty well, the Schwann cells are actually got a good ability to um, allow those axons to um, regenerate and reinnovate, and you get back good function. Okay. Okay. But if you do the same in the spinal cord, just cut it. The oligodendrocytes, for whatever reason, aren't very efficient at allowing those axons to regenerate or go back to their targets. They kind of block it up mm. and therefore the outcome's terrible. Interesting. And that's where spinal cord injury generally has a much poorer why? outcome. Do we know why? Why they do that?
1: Yeah. So why why is it okay to regenerate peripheral but not central? Um.
2: <laughs> You're asking tough questions. Is
1: it, a, so. is it a, Well, these are the questions that people want to know. But is it? <laughs> is it a? Is it a protective mechanism? Because centrally, such is so important that if you have any rege- incorrect or poor regeneration centrally, the deficits could be huge if it happened incorrectly. Right. So if mm-hmm. you if you damaged a part of the brain, for example, yep. and then you expect the regeneration to occur, yet the wiring buggers up the potential downstream effects if it didn't happen properly would be significant. So it's probably safer to not regenerate and just rely on other neurons to take up the slack. Right. right? But peripherally, because these neurons are dedicated to certain muscles and sensory organs of the periphery, you have to regenerate. You can't rely on other neurons because they're so dispersed to to pick up the slack. Does that make sense? That's That's how I've always thought Mm. the reason why
2: that was the case. Definitely the, the injury, we're going way off straight, way off track a bit today, but that's all right. Um, definitely the injury at the injury site. when it's a peripheral nerve injury, it's definitely less complex when it comes to like the cells involved and um, mm. what's happening. But whereas in a spinal cord injury, you know, it gets highly complicated. Yeah. You know, a whole lot of different cells come in, you know, you've got microglia, which we'll talk about, you've got astrocytes and you've got all the immune cells and it it gets really messy. Messy, yeah, literally. And that impedes its ability to regenerate. Whereas, um, in comparison, I mean, Schwann cells actually do phagocytosin. Whereas, what does that mean? That eat, they eat, eat, eat up debris. Whereas, yeah. I don't believe oligodendrocytes have that capacity.
1: Gotcha. Well, that's a big difference. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, you know. I don't know. It's a really good question. And when you compare it to, and this go again goes into our area of research. When you compare it to the area in the nose, which gets damaged every day, yeah, it has a very good ability to um, clean it up and repair but it. But Are those neurons
1: central nervous system neurons or peripheral nervous system?
2: Well, their projections is peripherally, but but okay. they would be sitting centrally, but their projections into the nasal. So mucosa are they covered
1: by Schwann cells or oligodendrocytes.
2: Well. Th- they actually got a, a different type, which is um, the OECs. Olfactory and sheathing cells. Yeah, yeah. which so, comes from a, a brother of Schwann cells. So they come out of the neurocrest cell.
1: Okay, so yeah. a brother of a peripheral nervous system, yeah. glia. And okay, and that, and let's that, digress. And
2: that again goes into our research, which we're looking at using those cells in spinal cord injury. All right, I think we've digressed enough
1: there. <laughs> um because it's already 16, 17 <laughs> minutes into it, and we this is supposed to be one of the quick ones that oh, we. That's okay. Through. That's okay. Uh, it's, the, it's interesting. Though. It is. Look, the other glia that students need to be aware of, because it's part of the the, t- yep. the nervous tissue. So we do need to go through these glia. Is um, let's keep talking centrally. So we said yep.
2: oligodendrocytes, uh, centrally
1: ependymal cells.
2: Yeah, so they, they kind of line the, the CSF, so the the fluid part of your brain. So you ha- we have this fluid in our brain called cerebrospinal fluid that kind of bathes our central nervous system, makes it buoyant, so the brain's not heavy. It's like sitting in a bath and just floating around, like like the brains in, the, um, in Futurama. Oh, yeah. Um, so they're in that kind of fluid, uh, and that fluid's called CSF, but they probably move that along they have got kind of cilia they push it along but
1: where is this this um, is in the ventricles right
2: ventricles but also the aqueducts and so forth where so
1: all the hollowed out portions of the brain which point. would have been the, the center of the neural tube yeah
2: correct that's right well done well done so that's the way, a, way i very teach. accurate
1: thank you sir the way i teach my students is you know you get an a4 piece of paper and you roll it up and you look through it, and looking through the middle of this A4 piece of paper- And that's Mike's
2: lecture on embryology. I'm like, the end.
1: (laughs) Well, this is my extent of embryological knowledge. Uh, the, The hollowed inside of this piece of paper is ultimately, throughout embryological development, going to create the ventricles and the cerebral aqueducts and so forth, all those hollowed out portions. And so lining that are the ependymal cells, and they take blood- Plasma filter it through whatever filtration process they use to then create cerebral spinal fluid that they then flush through.
2: Mm. So they make it it like in the choroid plexuses, and then they also push it through. Yeah, and uh,
1: and the the choroid plexuses are so yeah. So it pushes it through to different layers of the meninges. As well, yeah, so that's you've got the, that's just s- the like, subarachnoid yeah, space yeah. is going to have cerebral spinal yeah. fluid in it as well, and so anyway, the point is, ependymal cells, which are glia, produce cerebral spinal fluid. Yep. It helps, like you said, make the brain buoyant, washes away toxins, helps replenish metabolites, plays a really all important nutrients. role, all, all the important stuff. They they found that um mice um, that they 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 didn't allow to sleep properly. Um, had volume changes of their cerebral spinal fluid and they had a build-up of metabolites over time. So sleeping allows for you to create new cerebral spinal fluid and flush away these metabolites uh, and it is potentially one of the reasons why if you don't get enough sleep, you feel groggy because you've just accumulated metabolites that haven't been able to be washed away. Um, So that's that's ependymal cells. Uh, We've got uh, uh, microglia,
2: which is kind of... The best way to to remember this it's like an immune cell yeah. for the central nervous system. Yeah. So, if there's infections or injuries, it will kind of come into the area.
1: We've got astrocytes.
2: So astrocytes are named because of their shape. They're shaped like a star. Um, they've got arms and legs. Not not like our arms and legs, but arms, legs,
1: <laughs> neck, armpits.
2: Like <laughs> arms can grab onto blood vessels and their other projections go into like synapses.
1: Why is it important that their arms grab onto blood vessels?
2: Well, I was going to get to that, but they help so, to they help to form I thought you
1: were dropping hints for me to sort of, you know, carry through to ask you the the right questions. They,
2: they help to create what we call the the barrier of the brain, the the blood brain well, barrier. Well, we actually call it the blood brain barrier. <laughs> the BBB. or the triple or the triple B.
1: Triple B, yeah. The BB King. So the BBB King. This BBB. is baby baby baking B-
2: B- this is <laughs> this is um a barrier that makes it barrier kind of separates the central nervous system from the rest of the body yes which can be a good thing but also can be a um, a, a difficult thing if you're like a pharmacological scientist and you come up with a new drug yeah. that you want to get in the brain and it's a great drug But it doesn't get into the brain, so it's Mm. it's non-successful.
1: And the reason why we've evolved that is important because everything we ingest gets into the bloodstream, pretty Mm. much. And if it gets into the bloodstream, it means it gets to- Everywhere. It it exposes all the tissues of the body, uh, including the brain. And if you've just inject, ingested something toxic... Now, obviously, we haven't evolved to ingest pharmaceuticals per se, but we've evolved to ingest drugs of some sort. And they may be beneficial or not, uh, and they could be toxic or not or whatever it may be. But if they can cross the blood-brain barrier and damage the brain, it's not the very, brain's very sensitive. It's not a very good outcome. It's not a good outcome. Yeah. So luckily, we've got astrocytes with their arms wrapping around the blood vessels of the central nervous system and they help limit. They're one of three or four barriers in the central nervous system that help protect the brain from what's floating around in the blood. Yep. Okay, so that's astrocytes. So these
2: astrocytes play also a big role in regulating what's at the synapse, so um, neurotransmitters and any other ions and so forth that's important for conduction and um, communication. So they're important in that role.
1: I I call the astrocytes the... um, you know when you watch the uh, car racing, the Formula One? Oh, like the pit stop? Yeah, the appeal. pit crew. The pit crew where the car is the neuron, yeah. right? It does all, It does seemingly all the work, but without the pit crew, it falls apart. Okay. And the sa- and the pit crew with the- And the
2: microglia, the- the that the safety cars. car. Uh, n- <laughs> no. Microglia you know is cr- once, get, you know, once the, the race is over, it cl- clears the road. You know when there's a crash- Oh, yeah, it they, clears it all up. They bring out the safety car and then ah, so have to clean it up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, that's all right. Can we sort of extend this analogy for all the other types of glia? What are the ependymal cells? Um, Fluid replenishment. I
2: uh, don't know. I was going to say the... Um, no, I'm done.
1: <laughs> um, and the only other type of glia, and we're half an hour into the podcast, uh, are the satellite cells.
2: So they're, they're more wrapped around the, the cell bodies in the peripheral nervous system. And so when there's... Potentially. Uh, sensory neurons specifically, right? Or oh, DRGs. Yeah. Because the they're, dorsal they're, a, well. they're outside. Matt
1: just loves to throw out initialisms and without telling people what they stand for.
2: So there are sensory um, cell bodies. Okay. The motor cell bodies are in the ventral horn, which is the central nervous system. Okay. Yep. Uh, is that all the, the nervous it. tissue? Nervous tissue done. So done. all those things we just mentioned um, play a role in essentially the communication um, of the nervous system.
1: Yeah, yeah. Next is muscle. Okay. Muscle is another tissue made up of myocytes. So unlike neurons where there's a whole bunch of different cells, muscles have muscle cells called myocytes. Uh, but you've got subsets of these like cardiomyocytes, for example, which are muscle cells within the heart. In actual fact, there's three different types of muscle in the body. Okay. So while you've got muscle as a tissue, there's three subtypes. And those are cardiac muscle. Yep. Skeletal muscle. Right. And smooth muscle. And so I think we should just talk very briefly about each of these and what they do. But generally, muscle is there for movement. Yeah. Right? So muscle contracts.
2: Yeah. So muscle's ability or muscle tissue's, tissue's ability is to lengthen, stretch, but then contract, which is shorten. And depending on these three types, they will do that in different ways, right? So skeletal muscle which are muscles that are attached to our bone skeleton, are very powerful in contraction, very dynamic, yeah. very rapid. Um, cardiac's also powerful, but um, they're probably more in rhythm, right?
1: Yes, and, and and they're successful not due to the individual cells that contract, but due to the group of cells that contract.
2: And huh? smooth muscles like me, uh, weak, slow, but reliable
1: yeah, and found (laughs) in my digestive tract. Um, Yes, absolutely. And so the way I think about it is like you said, all muscle cells need to contract and it's the shortening of these cells that then leads to something moving. And it depends on what they're attached to and their orientation that depends on what's happening. So in the skeletal muscle, they're going to be attached to the skeleton
2: and therefore when you- Via, shoot- via tendons, which yep. we'll get to, it, that's because that's connective tissue.
1: Exactly. Okay. Uh, and it's attached to bones, which is also connective tissue, which we'll get to. But when that muscle shortens, it obviously will- Now, muscles will attach to bones across a joint. Yeah. And so when a muscle shortens, it moves the bone across the joint and it changes the angle of that bone and therefore movement occurs. Yeah. So skeletal muscle moves the skeleton, super simple, simply by that contraction. So
2: the orientation of the fibres are generally in long cylinders that That's are right. parallel to each other, right? Yes. So when they contract, they pull kind of in one unidirectionally. direction. Unidirectionally, yeah. exactly. Unless it's a kind of a a muscle that has branch points, but generally speaking, it's going to pull it in but one direction. But each one of those cells will pull
1: unidirectionally. Yeah. Yeah. And so- you compare this to uh, let's compare this to smooth muscle right so smooth muscle lines our hollow organs and so things like the digestive tract that doesn't
2: line well it does It's it, into the walls
1: sure well it depends on your li- definition of line cuz i
2: think line is better to say hollow organs are lined by Epithylia. epithelium
1: okay okay fair um, it it lines the internal walls of so walls, of yeah. so, our hollow structures so walls, yeah yep um like the digestive tract, the, the, the renal system, pick a hollow tube in the body and there's going to be a muscle layer within that hollow tube. Okay. And so these fibres are usually orientated um, lengthways down the tube and around the tube as well. And so we call it longitudinal or circular. circular. Oh. And so the whole point of these two different types is that if you contract the longitudinal fibers that go the length of the tube, it shortens the tube. Yep. And then if you contract the circular muscles, it narrows the diameter. lumen or hollow inside or diameter of the tube. And if these two things happen together, what you end up getting is a shortening and narrowing and then an extension and um, dilation and, and then it goes back and forth and that leads to
2: kind of looks like a caterpillar walking. Yes.
1: It pushes things through. It's similar to putting a tennis ball in a stocking and then using your hand to squeeze that tennis ball up the stocking. Right. And this is how we push fecal material through our digestive tract, push urine out of our, the tennis ball bladder. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) With with my hands and a a pair of stockings. (laughs) Um, you know, so again, blood moving through blood vessels and so forth. It's it's all because of this smooth muscle layer.
2: Now that smooth muscle is ureter. Your, um, I did say b- that. bile duct, and then if you have a stone in it, yes, it
1: contracts around that, and it's and that's not nice. Apparently,
2: the most painful pain that you'll get.
1: Well, as a male, I don't want to say because I've never given birth, and neither of you. That's true. So it could be not as bad. But of- I
2: have heard. Many females who have given birth that say a, a gallstone is worse, way worse. Okay,
1: I'll leave that. I have, haven't experienced either, so I won't make a judgment there, unlike you. So, <laughs> so that, that's now smooth muscle contracts unconsciously, involuntarily, yep. um, which is good because if and the, it, and
2: the fibers are perpendicular to each other, unlike parallel, like the skeletal. So they're going in different directions. Yes, which is
1: important because you need to contract around the object or thing that you're moving.
2: And part of the reason for all their weird orientations is why they are not striated because they're not all lined up. So when you look down a microscope, they don't appear striated like skeletal or cardiac. They're smooth. And part of the reason is because they're all in different directions.
1: And the... the the all in different directions that Matt's referring to are the protein subunits that actually contract. So obviously if they're all lined up in, in, a, in a row, you can see that down a microscope and that leads to what's called striations, mm. like tiger stripes. But if they're all in different directions, there's no consistent pattern yeah. to it and so we call it smooth. Um, skeletal muscle is conscious contraction. Yep. So anytime you voluntarily move something, you know it's skeletal muscle, right? And that includes the diaphragm. So a lot of students will say to me, is the diaphragm skeletal muscle or smooth muscle? But it's skeletal muscle because you can control its contraction consciously. Yep. Right? All right. So we've done skeletal. We've done smooth. Let's go to cardio. So cardiomyocytes, oh, cardiac heart muscle cells. So they're different in, now again, muscles all, muscle cells all contract with the purpose of something to move. Yep. In this case, it's blood. That it wants to move. And so it needs to contract around the blood. So the heart is going to be surrounded by this muscle. It's going to muscle be, pump. be filled. Yeah, it's a muscle pump. Um, but the power of it isn't in the individual muscle cell or fiber like it is with skeletal muscle. Mm. It's actually the group of muscle cells working together as something that we call a syncytium. Okay. And so the, the way this works, unlike the other um, muscle cells, is that... When you stimulate one muscle cell in the heart to contract, it actually is connected by these open doors to every other muscle cell in the heart and just propagates that signal to everyone. So when you stimulate one muscle cell, you stimulate all muscle cells. And that's the definition of a syncytium.
2: So how does it do that?
1: Uh, Because there's these open doors. What are they called? uh, They're called gap junctions. And so remember, any muscle cell... They must contract by being depolarized, yep. which means you've got to throw positive things into it, whether it's sodium or calcium or whatever, or magnesium, whatever it may be, you've got to throw a, a positive ion in yep. or, and enough of it in to release calcium. Yep. And then once the calcium's released and you've got ATP present, the muscle will contract. Yeah. And so for skeletal muscle, you can do this and only a single muscle cell will, can, will contract Because there's no open doors that connects one muscle cell to the next to tell the next one to contract. You need an individual neuron to speak, or an individual neuronal synapse to speak to it to to do that. Um, But not with heart muscle. You can have a single neuron synapsing with a single muscle cell, and that can cause the whole heart to contract. And this is one of the reasons why people can have what's called ectopic firing, where a part of the heart decides to. to It has to be the
2: fastest, though. Right. Sorry. It has to be the fastest. Because isn't it? Isn't the heart kind of the pace of the heart generated by the fastest um, depolarizing cell? So that's kind of where you can get these yes. irregular starting points where...
1: Well, so- I wouldn't say the fastest. It's just because certain uh, m- cardiomyocytes in the heart are a little bit different uh, and they spontaneously depolarize. So while other heart muscle cells need to be told to throw sodium in... Mm right, to stimulate the, the contraction. Um, other ones, the, the door for sodium is always left open. Okay. And sodium and calcium leak in to, to the cell. And so they're not necessarily the fastest, they're just always the first to depolarize because they always they reach threshold first. Okay. Right? Um, and so they're called the pacemaker cells. Okay. So they're always depolarizing, repolarizing, depolarizing, repolarizing in a patterned way. But you can have some cells of the heart that decide to depolarize themselves due to whatever reason it may be um and then that causes a a part of the heart to start contracting before
2: the the pacemaker pacemaker, cells
1: contract and then you're like
2: then you get arrhythmias
1: that's right you get arrhythmias and then that's muscle cells muscle tissue i should say
2: yeah okay
1: now we're looking at the two that we haven't actually focused any time on yet but we will do an individual podcast on each
2: and these are probably the most heavy going too in a way yes
1: well, they're most they're the most abundant but also um probably I think students probably find them the most difficult too because it's easy to comprehend what neurons do and easy to comprehend what muscles do but connective tissue cuz there's so many different types a lot types. of variety. So firstly, let's define what's what is connective tissue, Matt.
2: Well, I, I guess when you hear the term you think it's to put things together. Yeah. But I don't think that does it justice cuz I think there's No. There's other stuff in there that does more than just connect. So, for instance, you can have connective tissue that's structural, things like um, ligaments and cartilage and bone. But then you can have some that are immunological. Mm. So you've got a lot of your blood cells, particularly the white blood cells. But then you've also got red blood cells. I'm not sure how where you fit that into mm. like a what do you what would you categorise that as as within the Anyway, uh, and then you've got energy things for energy. So you've got uh, fat, which is uh, tuber connected tissue. Yeah, but it's kind of this place where you just store molecules for another day. Yes. So you've confused us even further. <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm no, but that the, the point that you're All those things is an don't connect. Point. They're not. They're not putting things together. Like you know, say a tendon would yes. puts a muscle to a bone, or a ligament puts bone to bone, or bone even. Um, or cartilage between bones, but then you've got this fat, which is mm. – I mean, I, I'm sure it plays in important connective roles in some areas. Well, this is the way I start all my lectures, by saying exactly what you say. So I go,
1: it's easy to define neuron, uh, uh, nervous tissue. Yeah. It's easy to define muscle tissue. But connective tissue, it can be a solid. Yep. It could be a semi-solid. It could be a liquid yeah. You know, and they can all perform a different function. Yeah. So, what the hell makes a connective tissue a connective tissue? And the thing is, a couple of things. One, all connective tissue will wrap, bind, or anchor. That's the first thing. That's a broad definition of what they do. But the other thing is that all connective tissues are made up of cells, gels, and fibers.
2: Okay. Or well, to be more accurate, you could just say cells and extracellular matrix. Yes. Which is,
1: but it's not but as easy to really, remember. That's true. That's why I say cells, gels, and fibres because yeah. it's sort of a little little rhyming scheme which students. But the cells remember. are obviously, yeah. you know, uh, they're different. The gels uh, are basically the extracellular matrix that the cells are embedded in and form the relative density of what that structure is. And the fibres are the things that are embedded in the extracellular matrix that will change the consistency of the um, tissue type as well. Yeah. So I always like to start with the cells. Okay. If that's okay, yeah, go for it. Because, you know, you can have, so examples that Matt highlighted before of, of connective tissue include bone, so that's a solid, cartilage, that's a semi solid, and blood which is a liquid, yeah, right? Yeah. but there's, there's obviously other types like, and you alluded to you know, tendons and things like that yeah. um, and fat, fatty tissue and so forth. So if you have bone, then you've got to think of that Latin or Greek prefix like osteo. Yeah. So you've got an osteocyte. Yeah. So that's the cell type, yep. uh, at least the mature cell type for bone. Same for cartilage, chondrocyte, for fat, adipocyte, uh, for blood I if it's red adipocyte. blood. Of course you would. <laughs> you like to be contrarian. Uh, And erythrocyte for red blood cells. Fibroblast. And fibroblasts. They're probably the most abundant. Yes. Well, fibroblasts, yes, because they they make up all of those. When you think connective tissue, you probably think fibroblasts. The things that actually connect, that that anchor the organs together. You know, you cut into the abdomen, you you tear it open, you have a look, and you see the digestive system anchored to each other. That's going to be, you know, that dense, irregular connective tissue, um, you know, their fibroblasts are the main cell types for these types. So there's the cells, right? At least the mature cells. And there's obviously variations. So if you take bone, for example, mm-hmm. which is its own conversation, we've had a whole topic, a whole podcast on bone. You can have, you know, um, osteogenic cells, osteoblasts, osteocytes. I wouldn't include osteoclasts because it's a different, it's a whole different. Macrophage. It's a macrophage. So it's not really part of this.
2: But Probably years though.
1: Well, it's a whole different lineage. Yeah, yeah. While osteogenic cells are precursors to osteoblasts, which are precursors to osteocytes, but osteoclasts come in from elsewhere.
2: Yeah. Well, that but but they're probably a precursor from a you know an immune-like cell, which is still they, they, they are to- yes yeah. exactly
1: right. So anyway, so they're the cells.
2: But then you also have got the you know the hemopoietic stem cell, which is yes a blood-making cell in the bone as well, don't you? Yep. Exactly. Hmm. Um, so they're the cells.
1: Then when we look at the gels, which is the extracellular matrix, they're mainly just like proteins and sugars s- snapped yeah, together.
2: I think basically this is what is referred to as ground substance. Yes. And then most of that is um, water. Mm. But then it has a few other additional things like protoglycans. Yep and glycoproteins and That's stuff like right. that.
1: They're the two major types, yeah. which always confuses students because you've got glycoproteins and proteoglycans, yeah. which is the, pretty much the same word, just flipped. <laughs> um, but they are- And this is
2: where you get things like the thought of glucosamide, right? Where yes. it, it has a, a property within ground substance, which is in a type of connected tissue like a cartilage, which is semi-solid. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of fluid in it. But there's no necessarily reason for, well, if you ingest a whole lot of this property in a ground substance, then miraculously your cartilages are going to rebuild. Yeah. Similar to, you know, people taking collagen um, in their diet to think it's going to make their skin because, you know, there's collagen in your skin.
1: Well, we'll get to collagen because that's part of the and, next
2: part. But it doesn't necessarily work like that because, you know, you eat it, you eat collagen, which, you know, having food, um, but it's a protein which you can't absorb collagen. Mm. You need to break it down into its building blocks, which is amino acids. Mm. And then that's is going to be put into your amino acid pool anyway, right? That's right. And then you, if you come to the point where you want to make collagen, it doesn't necessarily mean it comes from the collagen you ate. It's just going to be whatever the protein has been broken down from the amino acid.
1: Yeah. So with with the ground substance, um, like you said, proteoglycans, glycoproteins, and so forth, the way you should think about them, or at least the way I think about it, is that... They're sort of like the substrate that the next part we're going to talk about, which are the fibres, the substrate for them to sort of bind to and help... Or lubricate even. Um, Well, depending on what it is you're referring to. But if it's like bone and cartilage, for example, the ground substance allows for these fibres to sort of attach. Right. Right, Um, And so that's the third...
2: So is the ground substance in the bone just the like the salt the calcium no no so you got salt?
1: so when you look at bone you've got the organics and the inorganics yeah. and so the organics are going to be um, what the cells secrete so the osteoblasts that are building the bone they secrete ground substance and the fibers right so the well ground the collagen. so it's sort of like the way i again the way i think about it is the osteoblasts are the builder yeah. and they get the bricks out and they're the fibers and then they get the mortar out or the concrete out and that's the ground substance. And so they they connect the bricks together by the ground substance. Okay. And that's and, and, and what they end up building is this wall, which is bone, right? Um, when we look at the move past the ground substance and look at the fibres, there's three major fibre types. And Matt spoke about one, which is the collagen, reticular fibres and elastic fibres. Right. And so... Collagen, uh, tough. Tensile strength is how you should think about it. Elastic fibres, you can stretch it and it snaps back to its original position. And then reticular is like a network, a mesh sort of network. Yeah. And if you think about all the squishy organs of the body, they're going to be pretty much filled with reticular fibres. Yeah. So if you think of the hardest structures, they're going to have collagen. like mm-hmm. Bone and cartilage, just filled with collagen really. Um, there's going to be some cartilage with elastic tissue like your epiglottis and your ear and so forth that's going to have a lot of elastic tissue. Um, uh, And then the reticular is going to be a lot of the dense, irregular, regular connective tissue um, of like the spleen and things like that. Lymph nodes. So think about if you were to get some jelly and you wanted to like aeroplane jelly. And you want and you and you make that jelly in a bowl, and then you turn that bowl upside down, and then you've got just this mound of jelly on a plate. Mm. If you were to pick that plate up and shake it, that jelly is going to wobble. And if you were to shake it significantly, it's going to fall apart. But if you were to get some little metal rods and embed it into the jelly while you're making it, which is going to be the collagen, mm. it's going to make it stronger, right? If you were to embed some elastic bands, which is the elastic fiber, th- I think that's
2: like. Yeah, you keep going.
1: If you embed elastic fibres, it would allow for it to be able to wobble significantly, but it's not going to fall apart. It just goes back to its normal position. Yeah. And if you were to embed things like feathers, for example, it's obviously going to change its structure as well but that's what these fibers are doing you embed them into the jelly or the ground substance to change its consistency and if you embed a huge amount of collagen fibers it becomes just really rigid and strong Mm. huge amount of elastic fibers really stretchy huge amount of um reticular fibers it becomes like a mesh work okay and that's how i think about it
2: yeah okay um is there anything else in the connective tissue space that an interesting side point is we've also got um, connective tissue that um, can be graded in embryology as well. So the these are called mesochymal stem cells oh or, yeah. mes- or mesochymal tissue and they come from the part of the, the embryo called the mesoderm. And so a lot of the connective tissue of the body comes out of this layer of the embryo. But interestingly, when we look at these cells in their early undifferentiated state um, – they have the ability to, to go down lineages depending on their physical environment so mm-hmm. if you and we did we did a bit of this in our research where if you were to get a, a mesenchymal stem cell or a kind of a precursor connective tissue and then put it under kind of tensile st- strain where you kind of it's growing on a petri dish but then you stretch it in a particular cyclic way it can kind of start differentiating to become like um, tendons or oh, ligaments. So the physical environment, yeah. not only... Because sometimes when we think of embryology, we think it's all, growth the, factors, it's all the chemicals and, and growth factors, but change in the physical environment can also that's have an effect on the way the cell differentiates. That is actually very cool. Or even if you fl- kind of throw fluid past it so you have sheer stress, it becomes more like endothelial tissue, which is what lines blood vessels.
1: That's very interesting. Mm. And I think when we look at that, you know, the cells that develop primarily from that mesenchyme that you were talking about, um, they usually develop five types of mature connective tissue, which is what we call loose connective tissue, dense connective tissue, cartilage, bone, and liquid connective tissues, and that's the blood and lymph, mm. right? So they're the five major types of connective tissue. We haven't really spoken about, you know, loose connective tissue or anything like that, but I think...
2: Um, so that is is loose. You would classify cartilage and fat kind of in there.
1: Uh, areola and, areola. and fat okay. mainly. Um, so uh, areola is one of the most widely distributed connective tissues. So it's obviously going to have collagen, elastic, reticular. You know, arranged in. We didn't talk about the arrangements of those fibers either, because for example, bone will have collagen arranged in a in a linear way. But cartilage, it's arranged in an irregular yep. way. Um, so, for example, the, the loose connective tissues, like the areola connective tissue I was saying, it's pretty much in and around like every body structure. It's like the packing material of the body. That's the that's the areola connective tissue. Adipose is obviously the fat tissue. Um, that's areola the-
2: tissue would be if you if you eat chicken, you know when you um, take the skin off from the muscle, yep. that kind of spider-like yeah. Um, connected tissue that kind of holds it together. Yes, yes. That's, that would be a, an example of areola tissue. Yeah. Kind of the, you know, submucosal or dermis kind of connected in the epidermis, which is going to be um, epithelial tissue, which we'll talk about in a second, into the next layer. And that areola tissue is kind of that connected tissue layer.
1: Yeah, in the hypodermis. Yeah. yeah. So of loose connective tissue, you've got areola, you've got adipose, and you've got reticular. So the adipose is fat, And it's there for energy storage, but also uh, to protect things as well. Um, And then the reticular is what we were saying before. So um, that fine interlocking or interlacing network um, filled with those reticular fibres. So um, think of like the liver, the spleen, the lymph nodes, for example. That's reticular connective tissue. So that's all under the loose connective tissue banner. Um, Look at banner, Michael. And then we've got the dense connective tissues, which we haven't spoken about either. So, so
2: that's got a lot of fibres in it, less ground substance.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so – and there, oh, there's so many different types of these. So you've got dense, regular connective tissue. You've got dense, irregular connective tissue. You've got elastic connective tissue, for example. So there's heaps of different types. Should we go
2: through? No, I think go that's – okay. we, when we do connective tissue on its own, we can go through the nuance. Okay, great. Nuance.
1: Good, good, good. Um, so yeah, that's basically connective tissue.
2: So this leads us to our last one, which is the, the fourth and final. Um, but that doesn't mean, necessarily mean you would do this one fourth. No. I usually do this one first, to be honest. Oh, I'm so sorry. So that. this is epithelial tissue. So this is the one that has the most cells in it out of the th- four of them. Um, how do you want to classify this? Do you want to so sometimes classify this or categorize it by the way that it looks? Uh, I so like to do it by shape and layer. Okay, so... So first start with shape. So this would be... This well, first
1: let's define it. Let's define where you find epithelial tissue and general characteristics
2: of it. Okay, so epithelium, the, the term means upon nipple. That's what it actually means in definition. Let's not get rude here, Matt. I'm no. not sure what that actually means. Mm. I'm not sure where they got that from. I no. probably should have checked it, actually. Yeah. Anyway, that's the Epit. Uh, epi- no, what an epine- uh, what's the, the word that means derived from? Um, eponym eponym no etymology yeah so that's what it means but i really should have checked what what it actually the definition well you haven't just let yourself no, down mate everyone's all down everyone so epithelial tissue is generally uh, forms barriers so it, it it makes the outside of you so that's going to be your skin so i'm looking at your epithelium right yeah. now Although what you look at is everything's dead. How dare you? <laughs> so even though you look at my skin, it, it's it's cells that have died.
1: I didn't want to say anything, but
2: I can <laughs> tell. So um, it, it's the body's surfaces. It lines the- So you're ca- not
1: just dead inside. <laughs> you're also <laughs> dead
2: outside. It lines cavities. So if you were to, like you were saying earlier, if you were to cut through and go into the abdomen- what lines the whole abdominal cavity would be epithelial tissue or the pleural cavity or the pericardial cavities would be epithelial tissue. What makes glands? So these are secretory organs. This is a Jeopardy epi- question. This what
1: makes glands? Beep. Epithelial tissue. I wish we had a buzzer. No, we don't.
2: Or receptors. So this would be- Really? Interestingly, part of the nervous, nervous system-, system. But, you know, um, what, are the re- what, what are the things that transduce vision into kind of electrical activity? It's the, the rods and cones. And they're epithelia. Or, they're epithelial. Oh, okay. Or um, taste or the kind of cells with hairs on it in your cochlea. Whoa. Or the propriocept- proprioceptors in you know joints or skin mm. that pick up vibration, but they kind of do their thing and then they change that kind of physicality into helping Transduce. the into the the electrical electrochemical.
1: All right, so you're okay. saying that epithelia separates boundaries of the body. That's yep. how I see it. So anytime there's a cavity, it's Lined by epithelia. So that might be the inside of your blood vessels or heart or pleural cavity or anywhere Mm. where you need to go from one environment to another, it's always going to be lined by epithelia. And that includes the external to the internal environment, hence why your skin is lined by epithelia because it's separating out barriers of your body. Mm. And the outer layer is dead. You said that, right? (laughs) Makes sense.
2: Well, the epidermis is what we're referring to here. Okay. The bottom layer of the epidermis is kind of well and truly alive. But now we're talking
1: specifically skin, not just epithelia. So the skin has epithelial cells. Well, I just said
2: said epidermis, which is part of the skin, but the epidermis pretty much is all uh, epithelial tissue. There's there's a few exceptions. But um, where these new cells are made is at the basal layer. And as they move up, This epidermis, they die, and that's what you're seeing there. So when we look at
1: epithelial cells, they're really tightly packed. There's not much space between the cells, unlike connective tissue where you could have like a bone cell, like an osteocyte, and the distance between it and another osteocyte could be significant. Mm. So there's heaps of space in between for that ground substance and fibres. But here it's not the case. It's just a cell connected to another cell connected to another cell. And they're really tightly packed and there's no room for you know uh, yeah, in, intercellular space. There's and usually
2: there's, three surfaces that we look at that we have. the
1: One second. And there's no room for blood vessels. Well, either. Yeah, so they're so avascular. Yeah. Now
2: let's talk about those, the, the surfaces. So the surfaces of these epithelial cells, because they're usually in a in a plate of cells, um, there's the bottom layer. What do you mean a plate of cells? So, um, I want to describe
1: this. Oh, I think just like if, if you were to um, take a couple of Lego blocks on a table, and let's just say you wanted to make you got a couple of Lego blocks, and you made it three Lego blocks high on the table, and five
2: Lego blocks wide. Yeah, just. You just line them up next to each other in a big, long line. So three
1: high, five wide. The very top of that, what's that surface called? The one that's exposed to the atmosphere or the 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 one that's higher
2: up is called the apical layer. And and that, in many cases, has unique features on it for its function, which we'll get to. Then you have the basal layer, which is at the bottom.
1: The ones attached to the table. Yeah,
2: and that's usually... a. Attached to the basement membrane, which is kind of the... Connective tissue. Going into connective tissue, that's right. And then you have the lateral surfaces is where it's bound to its neighbour. And yeah. like you said, it's usually very tight to hold it together, but also probably to stop things going between them. Yes. Or at least limit it. Yeah, Yeah. So that's the three surfaces. Okay. And then the way we would kind of categorise is their appearance. So if we would first look at their morphology, their shape, and there's three kind of ways we would categorise the shape of the epithelial tissue. There's squamous, which is just flat. they have been squashed, so they almost look like they're run over by a truck. Yeah. Um, there's cuboidal, shaped like a square. Cube. And then there's columnar, which is long and slender. Like a column. Like a column. Now,
1: squamous, squished, cuboidal, cube, columnar, column.
2: Usually speaking, their shape will have an effect on their function. So the flat ones, because it's such a small diameter, not a diameter.
1: It's squished. There's there's nothing inside. There's not much there. The the internal.
2: It it means this is not always the case, but it makes it very easy for things to go across it, Mm. which we call diffusion. Mm. So things can cross it very easy. An example would be, the um, type 1 pneumocytes in your lung or your alveoli are a squamous cell and they're s- very thin, flat, which allows oxygen to cross very easy and to go into blood and carbon dioxide to come out of the blood to cross um, the alveoli to be breathed out. So that's yeah. nice for diffusion. And, and it's squished so it doesn't have
1: any intracellular organelles or compartments yeah. or anything like that because it's dead, it's squished, and it wants things to get through. So what's the easiest way to get things through? Let's l- limit the volume or, or the, the distance which something needs to travel. Yep. But then that brings us to the next two, like the cuboidal. Cuboidal. What, what does that tell you? If it's shaped like a cube, it's got a significant it's, amount of- It's got more organelles in it. That's right.
2: So which, it's going to be doing stuff and yep. producing stuff. And some examples would be secreting things yep. or increasing the ability to absorb things. Yep. Okay, and sometimes through absorption... Or both. These cells can add additional um, appendices, appendages, appendages? Appendages. Which is kind of projections Cilia on it. Cilia or villi. Yeah, or, or microvilli, which are kind so of these, microvilli, with yeah. these things that just increase surface area. So you might see this, for instance, well, the columnar ones are usually ones you find in the gut, and they increase yeah. the surface area.
1: Yes, I always think because the cuboidal and the columnar have quite a large intracellular area, the organelles are doing stuff and that's producing maybe enzymes or mucus ready for secretion. So anytime you see part of the body that's got cuboidal or columnar, think they're going to be secreting something. Um, If they've got microvilli, which are fingertip-like projections on their surface, they're increasing their surface area. So that's there for absorption. So they also want to absorb something as well yep yep. um i made the mistake of saying villi and the difference is that microvilli are the projections on the on the apical surface of epithelia but villi are simply epithelia themselves projecting in
2: in kind of valleys and waves
1: exactly exactly so that's simply just by shape but we haven't spoken about how many layers they can have so they could be one layer or many layers right
2: so if it's one layer it's simple and an, again, example would be the Abioli cells. Oh, yes, yes. Sir. So that's a simple squamous cell. Yeah. So simple means one layer. Yeah, and that's right. usually there for that diffusion. That'd be a perfect cell for diffusion. Makes but then you can stack them on top of each other like the Lego box. And you can put squamous on top of squamous on top of squamous and that would be epidermis on the skin. Like creating a brick wall. Like a brick wall. And that's going to be not so good for diffusion but good for protection. It makes total
1: sense. You look at it and you go, oh, it's one squish layer. Things will easily get through that. Oh, that's exactly why it's there. So yeah. things can easily get through, like you said, like gases. And you go, oh, many layers of dead cells of, that are squished – why is that? Well, it doesn't want things to get through because there's heaps of layers, but they're also dead and squished. So it doesn't matter if they get damaged and sloughed off and, you know, moved away. So it's there for areas of abrasion. Like you said, like yeah. our epidermis. The, the and to add to that, portion we, could, of we skin. could,
2: we could use in that protection layer because there's a lot of abrasion. You could add um, a protein to it, which we call keratin. And that can, help with waterproofing. Yeah. And so with these protective layers where you get a lot of abrasion, your skin, they usually chuck keratin in it because you want to make your skin a bit waterproof. But you also get abrasion areas, say, in your mouth or your esophagus or the anus. And that's also got these stratified squamous, but they're always in water, so there's no point waterproofing them. Mm. So these are what we call non keratinized Stratified squamous. There you go. So it's still there for abrasion. So you're going to, especially you, you eat a lot of food that you don't chew. So oh, if-
1: says you, Mister <laughs> Duck.
2: <laughs> so you're going to lose a lot of cell layers. So you yep. want to be able to replace them quickly. Yeah. So the non keratinized stratified squamous would be mouth, top of the esophagus, and then the. Um, regular- All right. So give
1: us some others. Give us some other types. So <laughs> the- you've got. So that you've said squamous is. Uh, Sorry, simple is one layer, stratified is many layers. Um, And and we've given an example of simple squamous and stratified squamous. What are some other examples of epithelia and where we can find them? Again, form equals function.
2: Okay, so um, you could have um, cuboidal layers that, like you said, secrete things. So um, enzymes or hormones. um, Are Are they a simple Uh, layer or are uh, they... Stratified. A good a good example for this layer, a good for this location would be the pancreas, um, secreting enzymes into ducts. Um, I believe they're simple cuboidal, right? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of. I should really know this. Um, there's an interest in there's an interest in organ, the urinary bladder, yeah, that um, has a cell called uh, or transitional cell, transitional. So, so when the bladder is empty, they're probably more cuboidal or columnar shaped but as the bladder fills in stretches and stretches and stretches it changes the morphology mm. into a, a squamous more yeah well generally
1: different. the apical surface is squamous and as you move down to the basals it goes to more cub- cuboidal than columnar and the changes in this s- cell shapes means that it itself can change shape as a whole tissue and to stand and snap back like the bladder needs to, right? When, yeah. when it overfills, and an you can also have. Sorry,
2: and an interesting side one, which is a unique one, is what we call a pseudo stratified. Oh, that's epithelial. what I was going to say, and that looks like it should be stratified, but it's the way that the cells are actually um, positioned that they they're kind of squashed in different ways. And if you look down a microscope, it kind of looks like they're stratified, but in fact they're only one layer thick. Yeah, and examples as the slated. Um, so how you pronounce it? Ciliated, not um, ciliated. Yeah, but I, you know how I pronounce things. Um,
1: Biceps.
2: Pseudo-stratified epithelium. What you find, you know, in your respiratory tract, the top yes. of your respiratory tract, which yes. is important for um, things that shouldn't be in the air that you breathe, like pollen or dust or bacteria, it gets stuck, and they have cilia which push it upwards into your pharynx, and then you. Swallow will in your case spit it out in the ground.
1: So, (laughs) so when we when when we get an exam in front of us and we see you know a question that says form equals function, where would you expect to find the following epithelia? Yep, it's pretty easy to do now. Simple, one layer things can get through if it's squished. If it's not, it's got. Intracellular compartment to be able to produce stuff, so secrete. If it's going to have microvilli, it's increasing surface area, therefore absorption. If it's cilia, they move like a motor, like and they can beat and push things across. Um, uh, and you can even say like pseudostratified ciliated epithelia, um, or pseudostratified ciliated columnar epithelia. You can go, well, I know what that is now, right? So
2: increase absorption.
1: Uh, well, it helps to throw things across oh, sorry. Was, and I secrete.
2: Think, I was thinking the microvilli one.
1: A lot of pseudostratified tissue. So you might be asking, what's the benefit of that? A lot of pseudostratified tissue produces mucus. Um, so just know does that.
2: It, does it produce it or is it the cell? Well, the, uh, the, gob- the goblet, goblet
1: cells that are dispersed between them have the space and room to be able to do that. So um, pseudostratified often has goblet cells dispersed for mucus sub, 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 blah, 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 secretion.
2: Mm. And I think that's it, right? Well I've drunk a, a whole bottle of water before this podcast, so I need to go and urinate. So my bladder would be fully distended. Distended. So it would be yes. in its kind of squamous. You know what we could state. think
1: about? We could say, okay, before you do that, what tissues are going to be utilized for you to empty that bladder? So you've got nervous
2: innervation. Which is telling me that I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So it's firing at the moment, going toilet, pee, pee, toilet, pee. toilet, toilet. Okay, and got- so the, the bladder is kind of a, an organ with a, a whole lot of muscle, and it's it's like a it's like a muscular pouch, which
1: was my nickname. <laughs> I was going to say urine
2: bag of it. <laughs> okay, yeah, pee bag.
1: So you got muscle, like the detrusor muscle but that of would the be bladder. smooth muscle. Smooth muscle ready to contract to help push this urine out. Yep. Then you've got the epithelial line in the inside, which is going to be that transitional to help it distend. Uh, and then connective tissue is going to be. Oh, well, it's, in,
2: it's interspersed, but there's also connective tissue on the outside, which is the serosa, to allow the organ to move in the the pelvis without causing friction. So what we've highlighted. But also, now, you've got, um, um and this is interesting, well, I think it well, is. We'll be the judge. Um, Different the different nerves that innervate the bladder. So at the moment I'm probably sitting in a, a parasympathetic state, and the parasympathetic nervous system what it would do is it would um, cause the contraction for a lot of the detrusor muscle, but at the same time relax the sphincters of the the um, The pelvic <laughs> the yeah, super floor. Interesting. The pelvic floor. But if you had a sympathetic reaction. But this is interesting because it kind of goes... Here we against, go, everyone. But if you, Sit back. Te- technically, if you had a sympathetic reaction, which is a fight and flight, yep. what it should do is it should clamp the sphincter closed. That's
1: the way to explain it.
2: And it should actually relax the neck of the bladder. Right. Okay. And you should hold on to it because, you know, you run away from bear.
1: Wouldn't relaxing the neck of the well, bladder increase the amount of urine coming out of the bladder?
2: No, I think it just re- takes the, the tension off. Okay. But... As you probably heard, when you get um, scared, oh, no. scared. I or, urinate yeah, myself. Yeah, urinate yourself. So how does that work if you're having a fight and flight?
1: That's mm. a rebound effect, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I yeah. think it's you have a very quick transient parasympathetic response. I think it's a
1: sympathetic rebound because I think what happens is, and this is an oversimplification, is that if you have this acute sympathetic response that your parasympathetic nervous system tries to uh, counteract it and tries to respond itself to try and balance it out and then that can result in you either defecating or urinating yourself and for you unfortunately it's both Um, (laughs) at the same hole the cloaca generally (laughs) like most turtles and birds
2: that's that's great. You've great, you've listened to my comparative anatomy and embryology. Well yes, done.
1: Which is a good place to finish. Yeah. <laughs> which is Matt's cloaca. So uh, <laughs> hopefully everybody enjoyed our four tissues. It Was meant to be thirty minutes. A um, little bit over. That's okay. I think it was we,
2: interesting. It was a lot of digression. Uh, but, yes, but great. That's
1: what a podcasts about, yeah. mate. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dr. Mike Todorovich, joined by whoever this guy is, and which is Dr. Matt Barton. I'm and off you can, to the bathroom. Great. Well you can contact us uh, once Matt's finished at the bathroom, of course, uh, via email, gubiosciences at gmail.com, or you can watch our YouTube channel with over five hundred free videos helping you pass your exams. Is that actually true? Yeah, over five hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's we're very good and prolific. Um, and you can contact me on social media. I'm on all the good platforms. Um, you decide what those ones are at Dr. Mike Todorovic, at D R M I K E T O D O R O V I C. We have a monthly newsletter that we are beginning. Woohoo! So if you want to visit our website, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike, no, wait a minute. It's just Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike, dot com, dot au. The Vis- website? That's the website, okay. Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike, dot com, dot au. Dr. Bean DR. Uh, if you go to the website, it will then ask you uh, to sign up to our newsletter. And every month, we will give you updates as to when a new podcast is out, when a new video is out, and we'll have a little bit of uh, some helpful tips on how to study, prepare for exams, how to remember things, and also just general info on how the body works. So feel free to sign up, and we'll speak soon. Bye. Bye bye.